Masechet Ketubot, Daf Pe Bet. With this staff, we complete the eighth pedic of Masechet Ketubot. We're dealing with a case of a woman who's married and the man dies without children, and now she falls to the Avam. Uh, what happens to the first brother, the deceased husband's estate? Well, the Avam inherits it. That's the law. However, even though he inherits it, he's not allowed to access it. He cannot take any of the money. He cannot even sell any of the land because it's all designated. There's a lien on it to eventually pay his, the Yevamaz Ketuvah, when that marriage ends. We saw a very interesting story. It happened in Pupedita of a Yevama in such a case, she falls to the Yavam. The Yavam would like to do Yibum and inherit the property, but there's a younger brother uh, that does not want that to happen because he wants half of his brother's uh, estate. So he wants his brother to have to do Chalitza. Therefore, the younger brother goes and tries to give her a get so that she will, the Yevama will be disqualified from doing Yibum, and that way he'll get half the property. The older brother finds out about this, says, don't do that, don't give her a gift. What's your problem? You want to have, get half the estate? I'll give you half the estate, but and then I'll do Yibum. Just don't give her a gift. And so he goes again and does Yibum, and then the rabbis rule, and they say, sorry, you did not have the authority to give away the property, um, uh, the Yavam cannot access, cannot sell the land of the estate because it's all put away, designated for the ultimate payment of the ketuvah. So even though he promised it to you, he didn't have a right to promise it to you. So sorry, younger brother, you don't get uh, half of it. And the Yavam got the whole thing. Okay, that was a great story. Now we're going to have a repeat, a follow-up. This story happened in but the same thing. A man died without children. The Yavama falls to the Yavam. There was a younger brother that uh, wanted to give the uh, Yavama a get. Uh, giving a get does not um, uh, does not make does not actually separate it. Only Chalitza can do it, but it is strong enough to make it that none of the brothers can do Yibum anymore after that. He did that because he wanted the older brother to do Chalitza, and once he does Chalitza, then all the brothers share the estate equally. So the older brother who wanted to do Yibum says. What is your opinion? Why are you doing this? If you're concerned about the estate and you want half, no problem. I will give you half. But the brother, the younger brother, heard already about the case of Pumpedita. And he says, I am afraid that you will be to you will do to me like was done in Pupedita with those swindlers that he, the older brother, promised the younger brother and never gave it. I mean, in that case, it looks like the brother wanted to give, but he couldn't. He was stuck. The rabbi said he wasn't able to. I mean, I guess the older brother could have uh, given from his own money because he promised it, but he didn't have to. So the younger brother over there felt he w- like he was tricked. And so here also, in Marta Marseille, the younger brother says, I don't trust you. I know what's going to happen. The rabbi is going to say, you don't have to pay. You're never going to pay me. I'm going to go ahead and give the get. The older brother says, I'll tell you what, if you want, I will divide it from now. In other words, we'll make a kinyan from now. 
And so you will already acquire half of the estate, and that way it's yours. It's yours already from now. So, um, you know, they think that's better. Turns out that that is, doesn't really help. So Rav says, even says, even though we do have a law that says you can make a kinyan earlier, that will apply later um, in different conditions. For example, here, someone says to his friend, "Go and pull this cow." Um, and the law, the way that you acquire a an animal is you pull it in your domain. So go pull it now, and right now it is in your domain, but I'm stipulating that the um, acquisition will not happen now. It's not going to be yours yet. I don't want you to have it right now. I just want to guarantee that you will have it, um, and but it will be yours in 30 days. And now when 30 days comes, it works. It's already his. He doesn't have to do any other, any other action. Even if the cow is standing in the middle of a meadow, a place where he cannot acquire a cow, the, the person acquiring can only acquire the cow if he pulls it in his own property or some a secluded area that, uh, that he shows is his. The middle of a meadow doesn't work. That's still okay. Even though eventually, after 30 days, when the transfer actually happens, it's in the middle of the meadow, nevertheless, the action from beforehand works. So even though that is true in general, but that's not the same as our case. In that case, it was the owner, the original owner of the, uh, of the uh, cow. It was in his power to give it over and transfer it to the buyer. And so therefore, since it was in his power to give it over, throughout that time period so now it works he does the action now and it uh, triggers and comes into effect after 30 days but in our case of the yevama it's not in his power the uh, the the old the older brother the yavam does not have the power to sell it uh and so therefore even though he's making a kinyan from beforehand, nevertheless, since it won't, that kinyan will not take effect even after they're married because the Avam has no authority to give it over and therefore uh, it doesn't work. So the, I, I, maybe he was convincing, we don't know the end of the story, whether the younger brother uh, uh, agreed to it or not, but if he did agree not to give a get, he still would not get half the estate. Okay, um, and now that we know that, we just have a quick um, contradiction between this statement of Rabbi Yochanan and another one that he said. In Bavel, we received the statements of Rabbi Yochanan from Eretz Yisrael through Ravin, who went back and forth. Rabbi Yochanan said, that after 30 days, the very same case, he does a transfer now. In 30 days, it's in the middle of a meadow. Rabbi Yochanan said, it, the acquisition does not work. So what's going on? I thought he said it works. Now he said it doesn't work. The first uh, statement is when he said, even though it didn't say it here, we're, we're, we're adding it in. Um, he said, go and uh, pull on the cow now and it will be yours in 30 days retroactively from now. So therefore, uh, when he pulls the cow now, he doesn't get it. 
and the next 30 days, but in 30 days, it will retroactively have been his. So by adding the retroactive clause, that means since it's from the time of the pulling, and at the time of the pulling, it was in the buyer's domain, so then the acquisition works. Whereas if he doesn't say retroactively from now, well then that action uh, is only going to apply after the 30 days, and that after the 30 days it's in the middle of a meadow, in that case it won't work. Okay, now next question. Ula was asked, So it's two questions. Number one, does it matter any order? Let's say the, the same case, a man dies without children. His estate goes to the Yavam. So let's say the Yavam does Yibum, and only afterwards he divides, he divides the property with his brother. Like the same case where he told the brother, you know, don't give a get and I will give you half. Um, does it work? So if he does Yibum first, so once he does Yibum, he has more access, more control over the estate because he now acquires it. He, he, he um, inherits it. Um, so can he uh, divide it after the Yibum? And he answered no. And now they also asked Ula, what if he divided it first while they were, she was Shomeret Yavam, before they do Yibum? In that case, he actually has less access to it because it's still a limbo. He may do Chalitza, and then it will go to a, a different route of inheritance. Um, so, and, and he does Yibum after. Does that transfer of splitting it up with his brother work? And he answers, no, it doesn't work in either case. Question on this. We don't understand the order of these things. If you already he already asked was asked the question and answered that if you do your boom first, where the Yavam has greater access to it um, and divides uh, and divides it after the boom and it doesn't work, then all the more so the other way around. If he does a division first when it's not even his yet, because didn't do you boom. And then does he boom? Of course it won't work. So why why do you have to why was he asked the question twice? And the answer is Havu. Actually, these were two separate occasions um, that happened actually happened. It wasn't a theoretical discussion. It was a theoretical discussion. And you asked one, then you would know automatically the other. But it happened to be this one happened first, and he gave the answer. And then some uh, similar case happened sometime later, and he gave the answer to that case, and it happened to be the other way around. And uh, that's why he gave two answers to two different cases. Ki ata, Rabin Amar Lakish, Ben Yibem v'achar kach hilek, Ben hilek v'achar kach hibem, lo asa v'lo chilum, v'elchata lo asa v'lo chilum. And reiterating and emphasizing the conclusion, Rash Lakish also said, doesn't matter what order, whether he did Yibum first, and then, and then uh, gave away half, tried to give away half, or he gave away half to his brother, and then do you boom? Either way, the transaction is invalid, and that is the halacha. It's as if he did nothing. All right, the Mishnah mentioned, that when you have an inheritance that goes from the, this woman, who was a Shomeret Yavam, uh, to the Yavam, uh, so as we said, the, 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 the land, um, has uh, goes in escrow, he cannot sell any of it. What about the fruit that's on the land? We had a machloket. Rabbi Meir said the fruit that's attached to the land also belongs to her, and you're not going to just let it rot there. Instead, he has to assess how much it's worth, 
and he will have to put cash value in. He could take the fruit, put the cash value in, use the cash to buy even more land, and that way it'll be there, uh, sustainable, and it will produce future fruit that he can enjoy. That was be made. Chamim, however, say that the fruit that's attached to the land he gets to keep on his own. We ask, Why? All of the estate, all of the property is a guarantee, a security to pay the ketubah. He's not allowed, to, the Yavam is not allowed to use any of it. So why should he be able to keep this fruit for himself? Uh, you're right. We have to change the word of the Mishnah to be not Shelo, but rather Shela. Uh, so she, she, she keeps uh, the fruit, he, she keeps not only the land, uh, he can't sell it, but the fruit that's on it also will go to her. And like the Bimeir said, he will have to assess how much it is and use and take that, that amount and buy land. All right. Um, this machloket between Rabbi and Chachamim was already found earlier in the Pedek and the second Mishnah of the Pedek on Daf Ayin Tet. Um, there, the machloket does apply because that was not talking about a case of a Yavam, but just a regular husband and wife. If the wife gets an inheritance of land during the marriage with fruit on it, in that case, uh, the Chachamim would say that. The fruit belongs to the husband, and so he gets it because, in that case, um, he uh, he has greater access to the to the inheritance. Um, there, you know, he can buy, he can sell land that he owns, and so even though everything has a lien, he will have to pay the kitubah eventually. Um, but he he can sell it if he wants. That's unlike the yavam, where we're more controlling of it, and we don't want him to do anything, not even sell the land, and even the movables here, even the, the fruit attached to the land, according to Chachamim, belongs to her. So that's why we're changing it here, even though we're not changing it in the earlier Mishnah. These are, in fact, two different cases. It could be that the word Shelah here is a copy of the earlier Mishnah, and that's why Rashakish says, no, no, this is a wrong copy. In this case, it's actually different. It should be Shelah. All right, next case, if the, once the Yavam does Yibum, then the Yavama is like the Yavam's wife. What do you mean it's like his wife? I mean, they are married, so what does this apply to? This teaches that should they change their mind and they want to be divorced, the way to divorce is with a get, and after the get, if they change their mind again and want to remarry, he can, he can remarry her. So let's analyze each. What, if you want to get a shina, give a get. Oh, of course you do. How, what else would you think? Because I would have thought as follows. Since originally they were a Yevama and a Yavam. At that point, if they wanted to separate, they would have had to do Halitza with her. I might have thought, even if he does Yibum, and now they're married, nevertheless, the designation as a Yevama is still upon her, right? It was still, we still know that this marriage came from a Yibum situation. And therefore, if he decides he wants to stop and not do Yibum, not stop the Yibum, stop the marriage, I might have thought that he has to do Chalitza, and it's not enough to, to give a get. And that's why the Mishnah comes to say, it's like a regular wife, just like a regular wife you can give just to get. So to here, 
even though they she was a Yevama, now she's like a regular wife and you can just give a get. Okay, now Mahazira Pishita, of course, unless it's a Kohen, they can remarry. Now, isn't this obvious also? You just said it's like a regular wife, so why would you think they can't marry? I might have thought as follows. The, really, any uh, this the Yavam and the Yavama, it's his, it's, it's his sister-in-law, right? It's his brother's wife. And so, essentially, there is a basic prohibition between this relationship. Now, if you're doing a mitzvah of Yibum, fine. Then, that's an exception to the rule, and you can do Yibum even though it's your sister-in-law. So, when he's doing a mitzvah, fine. But in this case, he already did the mitzvah, right? He already did Yibum, and he decided to divorce. Fine, that's your right. But now, once you're divorced, and if you're going to remarry, the remarriage is not for the mitzvah of Yibum. That doesn't, you can't, do, don't do it twice. So I might have thought that the prohibition of your of your sister-in-law will now kick in. And that's why the Mishnah comes says, Machazira, it's okay. He can, in fact, marry her again, even though it used to be his sister-in-law, because he did the Yibum process, that's it. Now they're good. Now, and now if you'll ask, wait a second, I, that logic actually sounded quite good, that this should be prohibited. They're not doing a mitzvah of yibum, so the prohibition of incest should kick in. The answer is, when he does Yibum, he takes her as a wife, fully as a wife. Once he takes her with Yibum, it's a full wife, and we forget the status of her once being a Yevama, even the fact that she was once, uh, they were once brother and sister-in-law, it becomes like a regular wife, and just like a regular wife, one can remarry after divorce, so too, she, they can remarry after divorce. Very interesting. Now when the Yavama, the Yavama and Yavama do Yibum, and so now they're married, it, it's true, like, it's like his wife, except for the following item, that the Ketuvah will be paid from the deceased husband's estate. So even though they're like a normal husband and wife, but the Yavam does not have to pay the Ketuvah from his own money, he uh, uses the the estate, is all designated, uh, that he inherits from the first husband, that pays the Ketuvah. What is the reason? The reason is because this wife was acquired to him from heaven. In other words, the Yavam never sought out uh, to go marry this uh, the Yevama. Uh, this uh, circumstances, unfortunate circumstances happened that the brother died, and so he's coming in to do a mitzvah. So he shouldn't now, he never agreed to take from his own money to have to pay this ketubah. It's good enough that he's coming and performing this mitzvah of Yibum. Uh, so therefore, he is stepping into his deceased brother's place, and therefore the ketubah that she has to be paid should be paid by the deceased husband. He's the one that agreed to the Kitubah in the first place, so let his estate pay. Why should the Yavam have to pay? Okay. Nevertheless, if the, the, the deceased husband does not have a, an estate, he's uh, impoverished, or it's too little, he has something, but not enough uh, to pay the amount of the Kitubah, 
then she does get the kitubah payment from the second husband, even though technically he really shouldn't have to because he could say, this was given to me from heaven. I never want, I never asked for this. Nevertheless, we want this marriage to be strong and lasting and we don't want it to be easy in his eyes to capriciously uh, divorce his wife anytime he just gets angry. He says, okay, get out. If he doesn't have to pay anything, then and there's no and the estate is zero, so then the uh, the avam will lose nothing by just kicking her out, and therefore we want him to think twice. So it's a good idea, the rabbis think, to put a little bit of a monetary uh, incentive or decentive to get, get just uh, uh, just um, divorcing, uh, just uh, doing a simple divorce, um, since he, we want him to take the marriage seriously. So we say, okay, you, if there's no kitubah, if there's no nothing in the estate, then you, Yavam, you'll have to pay. And that way, if he has to pay, he'll think twice about divorcing, and maybe he'll go into therapy and make up with her, and then they can live happily. Okay, lo yomar la hare ketubatich. My vechen, the Mishnah then said that um, um, the Yavam, in the same case, he cannot take from the, his, his deceased brother's estate a certain amount of cash, put it on the table and say, here, I'm setting this aside. This is the, uh, you know, $50,000 that the, your Kitubah estates. Here's, here it is on the side. Whenever the marriage ends, you can have it. And that way that frees up the rest of the estate. So the Yavam can take it and sell the land and, and give it away, do whatever he wants with it. You're not allowed to do that because maybe that cash will get lost and it doesn't give the wife enough security. That was, uh, that's the, what the Mishnah said first. The Mishnah continues and says, Vechen, and so too, not only in a Yavam Yavama case, even in a regular marriage, a man uh, cannot uh, take some part of his, um, uh, some part of his estate, uh, his property, and just designate, here, here's some cash, I'll put it on the side in a vault, and that'll be yours at the end of the, at the end of the marriage, and therefore, I'm taking away the lien that you have on any of the other land. Uh, he's not allowed to do that. That's what, that's the word vechen. Okay, now the Gemara is going to explain, why do I need to need, why, how come you have to tell me that it applies in both of these cases? I might have thought in the case of the Yavam, where the Yavam himself did not write a Ketubah. A standard Ketubah form uh, says that the husband's property is uh, mortgaged to pay the Ketubah, not only the property that he bought in the past, but any future property that he will buy also has a lien on it to pay the mortgage. So that gives her a lot of security. Now here's the thing, with the Yavam, he didn't write a Ketubah, so therefore the Yavam's own property, anything that he will buy in the future, that does not get that does not get a lien to pay the Ketubah. It's only what's in the estate, and that's it. He, the brother is deceased, so there's not going to be any new property coming into the estate. So I might have thought only in the case of a Yavam, he cannot put aside the cash, and then take the land for himself because she does not have the security of whatever, whatever, whatever will be bought in the future. So I might think that over there, in that case, the Yavam cannot do that deal of setting it, setting it aside. But in a regular marriage where the husband is the one writing the Ketubah, and he writes, whatever I uh, purchased in the past and anything I will purchase in the future, all that still has a lien, for you, I might think, 
I might think that she will rely on that, and she say, and she'll say, you know what, that's fine. You can put away, put aside that fifty thousand dollars, put it in the closet over there. That'll be for my ketubah, and then you can go and sell any land that we have, and there's no lien on it because she knows in her mind that just in case that gets lost, still any future items that he buy, that he buys, will he will she will have a lien on it. So maybe she would be okay with it. And that's why the Mishnah says, still, it's not, it's not good. He can't do that. Who knows if he's going to buy more land, if we're not going to buy more land. You see, the husband might always uh, just you know, hide his assets if they're movable items. And so she wants to know, she deserves to know that any land that he right now has, she will forever have a lien on that land so she can be secure and collect her ketubah. Okay, Gedesha en la ela ketubata. Gedesha in lo Gedesha la. Back to the case of the of the Avami of They marry. All the uh, deceased husband estate goes into that escrow. Once they get, if they get divorced um, uh, one day, then she can take out of the marriage only her ketubah payment. She doesn't get the entire estate. That's the Yavam who inherits the estate. So she gets the one lump payout, uh, some of the Ketubah, and that's it. So we infer from, from the Mishnah that if he if they get divorced, then yes, she gets her share of the Ketubah, and then he can take the rest. But if they didn't get divorced while they're married, not so. In that case, she does not get her Ketubah, and he cannot take the rest. This uh, confirms what Abi Abba said. If you remember, Abi Abba, who we thought maybe is Rav, uh, had a Braita that said that the husband, the Yavam, uh, is not allowed to access, to sell any of the property of the estate um, because it has to be all designated to uh, for the Ketubah, even if the estate is much greater than the payout of the Ketubah. So we can learn from this Mishnah that a confirmation of that opinion of Rabbi Abba. Now, back to the case of the Yavam and Yavama. They get divorced, and then they get remarried. Um, now, there's two subcases here. If they get divorced and he pays her the Ketubah, well, now they're separated. If they now remarry, they'll have to, he'll have to write a new Ketubah with his property because once he pays off the Ketubah from the deceased property, he gets the entire rest of the estate, and that's it. The second marriage will have a new Ketubah. But in this, in this clause, we're talking about a case where the Yavam Yavama, they get divorced, but he didn't pay it out. Right. And maybe, you know, before they get a chance to pay it out, they change their mind. They say, oh, we shouldn't have gotten divorced. And he remarries her, um, not writing a new ketubah, but rather continuing the same terms as the old. So we say she is like all the wives and all she has is she has nothing other than her ketubah, meaning that she is not going to have any access to the Yavam's own property or any new ketubah, but rather she continues the same terms that she has access to the deceased husband's estate to pay the ketubah. Okay. So this whole clause, why, what is it teaching us? I already know this from a Braita, that any time 
a man and a woman divorce and they get remarried, it's based on the same, and assuming that he does not pay the Kirtuvah in the meantime, uh, they just remarry again, it's based on the same conditions of the first marriage that he is returning her. That's the case in any regular, uh, not, not a Yibum case, just a regular marriage, they get divorced, they get remarried immediately before Kirtuvah payout, it continues. So in this case of the Yavam, also it will continue. Why do you need to teach me this? Well, I would have thought that maybe it's different. Um, and in the case where if, if it's his wife, uh, in the regular case where a regular uh, husband and wife get divorced and then remarry, he's the one that wrote the original Ketubah. So that's why when he, he remarries, they're, they're not changing anything. I mean, they can change it, but they're not. If he wants to change it, he could pay the first ketubah, and then he can make a new ketubah. But they're not making a new ketubah, so now we can assume that he's continuing the same terms as the first marriage. But with a, yiva, with a yavam and yavama, where he, the yavam, did not write the first uh, ketubah, so if he divorces and remarries, may, maybe we, can, we should assume that it's under new terms. And now he's going to have to write a new ketubah, and therefore his own property should be uh, designated to uh, pay the ketubah. And that's why the Mishnah comes to teach us that, no, even here, he basically steps in for the deceased brother, then the deceased brother's estate is what pays the Ketubah, and if they divorce and get remarried, that continues the same terms as the original marriage. Amar Rav Yehuda Now we're going to see a really interesting history of the negotiations of what's written in the Ketubah and why property is mortgaged in the Ketubah. So Davida says originally it was not so. Uh, the man would just write to uh, just write in the Ketubah for a bitulah, I have to give you 200, almana 100, and they would not say that the land has a lien on it to pay. It's just whatever cash is available, like a regular oral loan, um, and uh, without collateral. But the woman would not agree to such marriages. They did not feel protected. What if the guy is not going to have cash available? Or what if he hides his cash and gives it to a friend, gives it to a relative, and says, oh, sorry, I have nothing to pay you with. And so they refused to enter into such marriages to the point that the men were getting old and could not find wives. So they had to change the change the uh, deal. So Shimon ben Shatar said, we're going to write in the Ketubah that all of the man's property has, is, is a guarantee to pay the marriage contract. And once the woman heard that, it's okay, now I know I'll get paid because she can see right now at the time of the marriage that he has this much property and has she has a lien on it. Even if he sells the property, she knows she can go after it and she'll get her payment. So she, they, they felt uh, secure and they went ahead and got married. Good. That's the statement of Rav Yehuda. We say, Tanya Nameachi. We have a Braita that says the same thing. This Braita actually adds more steps to the history of how this came to be. 
So the same first step. At first, they wrote only cash here. I'll pay you from cash if I have it. If if not, uh, then you don't get anything. And the woman would not agree to that because they didn't think that they were going to get their money at the end of the marriage, which is really important because once uh, they leave divorced or widowed, you know, they have nothing to, to, to use to support themselves. So they would rather not get married. So then the first step actually was that they decided the kituva payment Let's say it's fifty thousand dollars. They would he would set aside the money, the husband, and deposit it in the her father's house, and that way it was it was guarantee that at the end of the marriage it was there. The husband would not even have access to it, so it kind of prepay. Go to the go to the to the father, and now she knows that she'll have it. But this didn't work well. Still, now if the husband got angry, then he would just say, "Go, go to your kituva," meaning he already paid it out and it's already in her father's house, so it doesn't hurt him to divorce her. And it, people were being divorced too easily. Any time he loses his uh, cool, and that's it, he can divorce her. And basically, it's similar to not having a ketubah at all, because that's the way it is. You know, even though uh, when you pay something already, pay for something already, you forget about it. That's it. It's already uh, you know included in the budget. And therefore, it didn't feel he didn't feel it in his pocket to divorce her, and people were getting divorced too easily. So they made yet another stage of hamiha. So it's fine. We'll leave it in her father-in-law's house, meaning in the husband's house. So the husband would take fifty thousand dollars, leave it in his own house in a special designated closet, and he say, "Listen, here is your the kituva money. Should we ever get divorced, or should I die?" Here, your money is here, it's guaranteed, and therefore, right, leave my land alone. Uh, so that this would, on the one hand, give her safety, the money is there, and also it would prevent him from too easily divorcing her because uh, he is he has the money, he doesn't want the money to leave his house, even though it's designated, still, it's, um, it's something that he has, it's not already given away. Um, but this didn't work either. Ashirot Asot Ota um, in a wealthy woman, they would take this the money of their marriage contract, instead of just leaving it in cash, they would uh, turn it into baskets of gold and silver, very nice fancy baskets, and it was an item that they could actually use instead of just keeping it as cash. So they would do that. Poor people where their kituva payment was not as much, was just the minimum, they could still use it to make a vessel to use as a urinal, um, which is also kind of a personal item, and therefore she could use it. Um, and this was good, actually, because then it guarantees that he won't take it back because it's an item that she uses. Um, so this, um, uh, but this was a problem. When the husband got angry, he would just say, take your basket and leave because it was already pre-designated. So even though, yes, it wasn't in her father's house that it was totally given, it was still in his house, but it was still set aside, designated as an item that only she would use. So he already spent the money and it didn't hurt him to financially to uh, divorce his wife. And so people, men were divorcing their wives too easily 
anytime they got hot-headed and it was the uh, the the and the women were not being treated well until finally the same last step as Rav Yudah said uh, Shimon ben Shatach came and said he has to write her that all my land is a guarantee for the marriage contract anywhere it is all the land and that is very good because on the one hand it's something that is stable it's always going to be there it's, it's land he can't hide it he can't just give it to his uh you know to his uh business partner uh to protect uh, the assets um even if he sells it she has a lien on it she can go after the money on the other hand it's not already given if he decides i have to divorce her oh no then i'm gonna have to sell this land in order to pay the to pay the ketubah let me think twice you know what maybe uh i'll forgive her and we'll make up and continue and make and and continue the uh, marriage and live hopefully happily ever after. Hadran Allah Ha Isha Baruch Adonai Lodam Amen Vamin.